Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Wednesday, December 6th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's choosing to join us today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice, on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that they start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my experiences and relationships. And, And a tool I've used to turn every negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. You can click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness, And if you choose to do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app. That app contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. It also has a new feature where you can type in a question from any page and it will send an email to to Jeannie Rice and she will see the question and discuss it with Michael on the internet show and then as time allows she will send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so that you can listen to the archives for the feedback and um, it's just the tip of the iceberg about what's available on that app, absolutely free, 
a whole wide range of ways to help you get more proficient with the use of this tool to improve the quality of your life and relationships and to manage any negative emotional experience you have. So you can also email directly. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at yagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n.org. And again, if we get an email question or comment or testimonial from you, we'll address it on the Internet show. And then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so you can listen back to the archives for your feedback or input. And what I'd like to say is that we greatly appreciate whenever anybody does that because it just makes it so much easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have is to be a service. And if you will let us know how these things are landing for you, that's just a lot easier to do. It's, it's far easier to hit a target you can see. So, you know, as they say, um, even a blind squirrel sometimes finds a nut. So we might be of use. We might be helpful to you from time to time, even if you never call and let us know how things are landing for you. And yet it's far easier to do when we get input from people. We had a support group last night, and we had somebody do a worksheet, and then from you know the intro talk to the worksheet to the discussion that was the entire group we didn't listen to any other teachers or audio or video and um, as so often happens when somebody's willing to be radically honest about what their struggle is personally or interpersonally it just um, opens the floodgates for other people to become aware of their own issues or be willing to be more honest with their own issues. And, of course, uh, as we like to point out to people, especially in doing the worksheet, the more honest I can be about whatever the issue is and what my thoughts and emotions and responses are, the more effective the worksheet process can be for me. And so... I haven't said this in a long time, but we used to meet in in person uh, every Tuesday. And uh, one of the gentlemen came in one day and said, you know what, this is the weirdest thing. He said, but I find that I'm more honest with myself, with the group. I'm more honest when I'm doing a worksheet out loud in front of the group than when I'm doing them at home alone. And you know, several people in the group commented it's the reverse for them. They're they're kind of shy about talking out loud in the group about their issues, and so they they do their worksheets at home, but they enjoy when somebody else does one out loud. And there, it, it is possible that I can be more open and honest in a supportive community than I will be on my own. I'll hide things from myself. I will distract. I will numb out avoid, deny, and suppress things when I'm on my own that I may not do when I'm in a group. I may be more willing to be forthcoming, more fundamentally, radically honest 
when, especially when I'm in a community where other people are setting that standard, when they're, you know, leading the way that way, when they're modeling that behavior. So that's what happened last night, and it was uh, intense and lovely and productive, and that'll happen again most Tuesdays and Thursdays if you're interested in joining us and or learning more about that all the information you would need is available on the mindshiftersacademy.org website and please remember if you if you go there or you're directing somebody else there that there's a separate login information page for Tuesday and a separate one for Thursday as the ID to log in the Zoom meetings is different for each day and that's just a product of the, the the need for some kind of security that was cropping up pretty heavily back in the in the beginning of the coronavirus restrictions times. And so, our call-in number is five six three nine 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 three five eight one. If you call that number and press one on your phone, it will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll see it, hopefully promptly, and then turn on the microphone and announce it by your area code, and we can have a conversation. In, in lieu of that, I will get back to reading from the Way of Mastery, which we've been doing, going through the second time on the third lesson. And um, doing it with commentary, doing it with some deliberate study of not just the words that are being said, but the underlying intention that is being, that we're being invited to step into. And quite literally, all, it's, it's such, it seems to be, you know, an ironic thing when I say we are not here on the internet show or in the support groups be, to, to be able to say all of these different words. The words aren't the point. The point is the experience that each of us can usher ourselves into if we choose to do things differently, if we change what we're holding on to or the thoughts that we value. And so my hope, my the, the 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 impact for me when I read the way of mastery and do it slowly and do it intentionally with commentary, is that I frequently move past the words. I frequently have an insight or an emotional response or an entirely different understanding of a potential meaning on one reading than I did the last 30 or 40 or 50 times I read that passage. And we're in the third lesson, and where we left off is the section titled, Reactivity Indicates the Need for Self-Forgiveness. And in this work, forgiveness is a process of 
removing and dismantling my perceptions. The definition given earlier in this chapter or lesson is to forgive means to choose to release another person from the perceptions you have been projecting upon your mind's image of them. It is therefore an act of dismantling, forgiving, dismantling, shebagging, canceling one's projections, my projections, your projections. If you're doing the forgiveness process, you're dismantling your perceptions and projections. You're removing the veils or the distortions that keep you from seeing the truth of life as this shimmering radiance, as Yeshua has referred to it in this book. The energy of creation, expressing in form the miracle of life, etc. Most of us do not see that directly because we have created interpretations and perceptions that are colored by you know, what we've been taught from our, our families and our language and our traumas of the past. And the definition for forgiveness means to release another person from the perceptions and projections you've been putting into your mind's image of them, attributing to them mentally. So it is, therefore, an act of forgiving or removing one's own projections. And as you begin to forgive or dismantle your projections and perceptions, even 70 times 7 times, in other words, 7 is the number of completion, and when you add a 0 to a number, it means an infinite infinity. So when you do this process an infinite number of times until it's complete, you take yourself deeper into the purity of your own consciousness. You remove any obstruction from your history, from your traumas, from your conditioned belief systems that would prevent you from seeing the flow of life accurately as it truly is. And the more you do that, the more you begin to see how deeply and profoundly you've been coloring and affecting all of your relationships with other people because basically you haven't had a relationship with another person you've only been relating to your ideas about that person your perceptions your projections your judgments and in this work judgment is the opposite of forgiveness and judgment is a poison and when you understand the process and what happens even in the cellular structure of your body when you judge, you would never judge again. So this section is titled, Reactivity Indicates a Need for Self-Forgiveness. In other words, if I have any kind of tension, upset, anger, frustration, hurt, or any of the emotions I might label as negative or uncomfortable, it's just my internal guidance system telling me my thoughts are off the mark. The interpretation I've chosen is inaccurate. I'm not seeing the truth of what is. In that moment, I'm not in direct conscious awareness of my true nature as a spark of the divine mind, as the energy of love expressing in form, etc. And I'm probably not, if I'm not in touch with that direct conscious awareness of my nature, I'm probably not seeing my 
my neighbor or my brother or sister accurately that way either. So the text reads, rest assured, you will continue to project upon others whatever remains unhealed and unforgiven, undismantled within yourself. Each time you react to another person, you're being given a sign that there's some kind of an energy that's been presented inside you to your awareness that you've not yet dismantled within yourself. If it's negative, if it's tight, if it's tense, it's a disintegrative energy, as Michael Rice would call it. So any reactivity is my alarm system telling me, hey, Tim, it'd be good for you to cancel what you think you need, cancel what you think you know, and look lovingly upon this situation before you think or speak or act. Because the negativity, the reactivity, indicates an error within me. The text goes on and says, if someone is critical and you react every time they're critical, rest assured you've not healed that part of your own being, that part of your own experience of you being critical of others. So you're still judging yourself negatively for times in the past that you've been critical. The text goes on, whether it is occurring now or whether it seems to be a pattern that you've interrupted and you no longer do, if you think you're upset because so-and-so is doing such-and-such, it's still the fact remains you have not dismantled your negative judgments against yourself for doing such-and-such a thing. The text goes on and says, use your ordinary experience in each day to observe what seems to push your buttons. We will give you a very simple technique for doing so, and if you stay with it, it will reveal to you the energies that are in need of your forgiveness. In other words, the destructive energies that it would be good for you to dismantle, let go of. The text reads, the technique is quite simple. As you go through your day, observe when you feel as though you are in contraction. Are the muscles of the body feeling tight? Is the breath very shallow? Does your voice become faster or louder when you speak about some energy in someone else? If your mind is telling you that you're upset about what's going on with someone else, it's a lie. It's about you're judging yourself negatively for doing the same or similar thing. The text reads, that is a sign that your voice gets louder or your body gets tense or you, you're breathing very shallowly. That's a sign that you need to do some healing within yourself. When you recognize that these kinds of signs are going on, in other words, life has presented you an opportunity to be disturbed, that is a sign that there is something that requires healing. And therefore, this is a stretch for a lot of us, count it as a blessing if you feel disturbed. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm closer than I was 10 years ago in this work. Michael Race is probably still fond of saying, oh, I just love it when people get into their, their drama and their trauma. And 
he would go on to say, because I know they're about to heal, they're about to release something, et cetera. And I, I've never been in that position where I love it when people get into their drama and trauma. I am willing to go into it with them. I am willing to sit with them and try to hold the space of love for them. But it is not fun. I don't enjoy it. I don't think it's any part of life to be f- happy about that from my perspective. I might be closer to it now than I was 10 years ago. But what I do notice is it gets easier and easier for me to recognize, oh, as soon as I feel a tightness or tension and I do that calming breath where I fill my lungs comfortably and hold it at the top and slow the exhale down, I've trained my mind and my body to recognize this is my signal that I want to just stop everything, cancel everything I think I know, cancel everything I think I want, recognize that whatever my mind is telling me right now is not completely accurate. It might be partially accurate, but it's not completely accurate. And that gets easier and easier to do the more I practice it. The next section is titled, Healing Exercise. And the text reads, Turn your awareness from what you think is causing the disturbance. And remember the first axiom. I am the source of my experience. I'm feeling disturbed. Okay, what is it in me that needs to be healed? If I stop at the first sign of disturbance and turn the focus inside myself and say this these three sentences I am the source of my experience I am feeling disturbed what is it in me that needs to be healed one of my favorite questions here is how am I creating this negative experience or emotion Another one is, what am I making this situation mean? And to me, that goes right along with the question, what is it in me that needs to be healed? And then the text says, begin to breathe deeply and rhythmically. Let your body soften and relax, and then ask yourself this question. What is it within this other person's energy that's really seeming to cause my reaction. And if you ask, and over time you build the willingness, the fearful parts of your mind will get the idea that, yes, you really do want to know, so you'll start to see right away, oh, this person is being critical. Criticism, quote, pushes my buttons. So, I know if I think I'm upset when somebody else is being critical, I know it means that I'm still judging myself negatively for being critical in the recent or distant past. So I can ask myself, when have I done that to another? Where have I been critical of others? And the text goes on and says, and it might hit you right away, and you might say, oh, wait wait a minute, I'm being critical because they're being critical. Or maybe memories come back. Distasteful memories, if you're judging them, let them come back. Don't run away from these things. 
don't get tight and tense. Don't move into denial and projection. Breathe and soften and remember the first axiom. I am the source of my experience. If I am feeling disturbed right now, it's because something within me is being held on to inaccurately. I'm, I'm pouring my mind energy into some false thoughts. So I want to let these memories come back, even if they're distasteful. I want to continue to breathe and relax. I want to look directly on this energy or this thought about being critical, about this judgment of myself and or the other person. I want to honor it, and I want to have love for it, extend my true nature towards it as a creation of mine that is completely neutral and simply self-caused. The text says, for it is a creation. It is your creations coming back to you that you might embrace them and transform them. You can't transform them if you don't embrace them first. You can't release them if you don't acknowledge fully that they're there and let yourself see the associations that have been connected with this in your mind and your body's energy system. So these are your own creations. They're coming back to you that you might embrace them and transform them. Please, the invitation is just stay with it. Look at it. Look directly at these thoughts. Ah, yes, being critical. I have really mastered being critical of people. I judge myself and others all day long. And I've been that way a lot in the past. I know that energy very, very well. This is my own creation. I'm pouring my mind energy into all kinds of negative thoughts about myself. And then the text reads, look upon a scene in your memory in which you have been the one being critical. Look upon it with deep honesty, with deep sincerity, and simply say to yourself, I forgive me for being critical. I dismantle my negative judgment against myself for being critical. I forgive my judgment of myself. In other words, I dismantle my negative judgment about being in judgment. And I choose to teach only love and breathe and soften. And in this work, it's valid to say, what does that mean, teach only love? Because we don't have a phrase like that in our Western philosophies and most religions. This work defines it. Teaching only love means I choose, out of all the thoughts that I have, to share and pour my mind energy and to valuing only my loving thoughts. And then it recommends that you watch the image of that situation in which you were critical or in which you hurt someone in the past or in which you were rude or impatient. You watch the mental image of that dissolve and disappear from your mind. You bring your awareness back to the present moment and the person or the situation you were observing that you thought was causing your upset and pushing your button. Again, you do not need to say anything to them at all, although you might. But within yourself, dismantle your judgments of them. 
say I forgive them for allowing the energy of being critical to temporarily make a home in their mind. In other words, I dismantle my judgments of them as being wrong for letting judgment or being critical temporarily make a home in their mind. And then I'm going to merely ask the Holy Spirit to replace my perception with the truth. Capital T, truth. Let me see the shimmering light of their radiance. Let me see my true nature. Let me ask to see the innocent light within them and myself and breathe and soften. The text goes on and says, as you cultivate this, you will become very, very good at it. You'll be able to do it as fast as the time it takes to snap your fingers. Once you begin to see the light in them, then you can ask the Holy Spirit, what is this critical energy in them hiding or masking? What are they really crying out for? What does my brother or sister need in this moment? How can I be a blessing to, to myself and others in this moment? These are the questions that are being, we're being invited into. And the text goes on and says, Then you will feel compassion, for it will be revealed to you why they are hurting inside. And lo and behold, instead of being reactionary toward them, judgmental, bitter, resentful, angry, you might just be compassionate. Your choice of words and your own behavior might turn out to be different than you could have ever imagined. The way this will happen is that for through you will flow exactly what serves them. The text goes on and says, When I was being nailed to the cross, there was one who raised the mallet to strike the nail. As he raised the mallet, his eyes met mine for just a moment. In that moment, I did exactly what I've described to you. By that time, I had mastered it, so it was done very quickly. I asked myself, how have I ever wanted to drive a nail through someone else? And I remembered my murderous thoughts. I forgave myself. I dismantled my judgments against myself for having those murderous thoughts. And then I brought my attention back to that one. And I asked only to see the light in him. And I asked, what is it that this action is mirroring to me? What is this action masking or hiding within him? And in that moment, I saw that one's soul. And I extended love to that one's soul. And I felt compassion for that one. In that moment, mark my words, in that moment of eye contact, that person got it. Because my energy was different, it created the space in which that soul could make a new choice. That soul suddenly saw the entirety of its experience and it realized that if it allowed the mallet to fall upon the nail, that soul would make a decision that would make it choose to continue being nothing more than a doormat for other people's perceptions. And in that very instant, that soul decided to follow a path that would lead to sovereign mastery 
And that soul decided never again to be a pawn of any government, any group, or any faction, or anyone. That soul dropped the mallet from his hand. Now, this was a Roman soldier. And that soul stood up, walked away, and disappeared. That one has gone on to become a master that is known by literally thousands of beings. That one is not currently in physical form. That one visits many and teaches many. That one indeed incarnated perfect mastery and therefore transcended the world. And it all began as the result of my desire to teach only love. Now, that soul and I have a very good relationship. So you see, you may not know how powerful your choice for healing is. You may not really see how deeply and profoundly it will affect you as you go on being a creator. And you go on being a creator forever. You could never possibly know what fruits will be born from that tree in the life of another. And because all minds are joined, when you choose healing through this process of forgiveness and dismantling judgments and perceptions, you literally create the space in which the other can also heal their life. So here's an invitation. Let no moment be wasted. See nothing as ordinary. See the truth, the beauty, the miracle of everything in each moment. And don't buy into the perceptions that have been taught to you of the world as though they're justified within yourself. Be completely, totally committed to rooting up and out of your being anything, anything that is unlike the love of Christ. Don't think that I'm the only one that can live this way. It's not true. You are here to live and love as I learned to love. Why? Because you are that love, capital L, love. Everything else is just a smokescreen. Forgiveness is necessary. Forgiveness is a skill and an art that will pay you dividend upon dividend upon dividend upon dividend. This skill, this art of dismantling your perceptions will never cease paying you. Each moment in which you choose to dismantle your perceptions, you choose this process of forgiveness, you choose to dismantle judgments, you have literally saved yourself a thousand years of suffering. I mean that about as literally as anyone can mean it. In short, every act of forgiveness is a miracle that shortens the need for experience in this dimension. 
when you find yourself in a situation that you believe is too big, rest assured, it is only because something big has finally come to the surface to be healed within you so that more power can shine forth through you. Why is that the case? Because you've reached the place where you're ready for more. More of Christ can be lived. Remember the analogy of the conduit and the pipes with rust building up or the pipes that have been cleaned out, roto-rooted out, and they're wide open and the walls get thinner and thinner and they become transparent. The more you dismantle your perceptions and judgments, the more the creative energy can flow through you unrestricted, blessing you and everyone around you. The next section is titled, Ending Your Day. The text reads, It's very important to let each day be sufficient unto itself. When you end your day, always truly end it. You do not need to take four hours of ritual. You can do it within a breath, one breath. As you take a deep breath, as you rest your head upon the pillow, look upon the day, embrace it with your consciousness, and as you let your breath go, say silently to yourself, I release and dismantle any judgments about this day. It has been perfect and it is done. Now, the words in the text actually read, I release and forgive this day. And I'm just putting the true meaning of the word forgiveness from this text in there. I release and dismantle my judgments and perceptions about this day. This day has been perfect and it is done. The text goes on and says, let it go. Just let it go go why why would I let it go because if you do not you will just bring it with you you know that experience and for three weeks you're lamenting oh my gosh why did I make that decision three weeks ago if only I'd made a different decision then this would have not have happened and that wouldn't have happened and this would have happened and that's probably all true but the point is now three weeks later you're still hitting yourself over the head by bringing the past and thoughts about the past and judgments about the past and beliefs about what it means about from the past. You're bringing that with you. And in that process, you miss the glory of the present moment. You've all heard it a thousand times because it's true. This present moment is a gift. You're a miracle of love expressing its form. Everyone around you is of the same. The, the miracle of life is a gift. The text goes on and says, Consciousness is a very subtle and powerful thing. You cannot help but create. Please remember that the goal of this pathway is for you to learn to deliberately create with 
perfect mastery. Therefore, look upon the things of the day and say, quote, it is very good and it is finished. Close quotes. Each night when you rest your head upon the pillow and you know you're about to go off to sleep, be just like God in this biblical story of creation in which it is written that on the seventh day God rested. God was finished, in a sense, within that story. The invitation is you can have that same quality of consciousness at the end of each of your days. I was here, I lived, I was conscious, I was awake, I was aware, I did the best I could, it's over. The text goes on and says, if you're carrying some kind of emotional reaction because of something someone said or did, or something you said or did, then do the practice of dismantling your judgments about that. Do the forgiveness practice before you sleep. If you do not, you will keep experiencing the conflicted energies during your sleep states. And communication between you and the other person who has not been forgiven by you, whose judgment you still hold, you hold judgments against them, that communication is maintained. It will keep going on until you've dismantled your judgments and perceptions of them until the forgiveness process has been completed within you. The next section reads, it is very important. Time should never be taken frivolously. Play with it, yes, but play with it out of consciousness, out of clarity, out of recognizing that there's no such thing as an idle thought. Each thought creates a world of experience for you. And you are worthy of experiencing heaven. You are worthy of creating the experience of heaven in your life, moment to moment. The text goes on and reads, We will have much more to say about forgiveness as we begin to plumb the depths of what is discovered as you practice forgiveness 70 times, seven times. That process takes you deeper and deeper into the very mechanics of consciousness itself, the very mechanics of creation. Put forgiveness or the dismantling of judgments and perceptions at the top of your list until you know how perfectly you are forgiven. That in truth, your creator does not hold judgments against you, does not hold perceptions about you that distort the connection of life. You are held in this direct connection between yourself and the creator, and you remain as you were created to be. The text goes on and says, Be, therefore, vigilant against denying any part of you that is still in need of forgiveness or dismantling. For whatever you deny will automatically be projected into your mind's image of other things and other people. Each projection is a hurtful act to yourself. Of course, it's also hurtful to the others, but primarily to yourself. There's much that's been said in this lesson that needs to be read again and again. 
so that the mind begins to truly grasp how important and how powerful the process of forgiveness is. You will reach a place where you absolutely delight in going through your day expressing forgiveness, like a wave emitting itself from the ocean of your consciousness. Even if nobody's doing anything that you might get triggered by or judge as negative, forgiveness itself, this process of dismantling perceptions and projections so that you see the shimmering radiance of life and your own true nature, that's a wonderful, delightful energy to live within. Beloved friends, practice this forgiveness process well, and you will have direct access, direct experience of what it is to be the Christ. When Christ is forgiven, when all false perceptions have been removed between you and the experience of Christ, Christ will arise and make his home in your heart and your mind and even in the cells of your body. You will know what it means to walk in this world and yet not be of the world. And when you look in the mirror, you will say, Behold, the Savior appears. And this will not be egoic arrogance that says it, but the recognition of what is true always. Here's that quote of what is true always. I am my Father's creation. And I'm sent into this world to bring light to it. Be you therefore at peace. Practice the process of forgiveness well until it becomes like taking a breath. You will discover power that you did not know could even exist. And you will discover a freedom whose taste is sweet above honey. I am extending this process of forgiveness to you, not because I've judged you, but because I know the blessing that forgiveness brings to me. What's the blessing of forgiveness? In the very beginning of this lesson, he said, I began to understand that the greatest gift I would ever receive would only come to me trying to find the exact words here I began to understand that the greatest gift I could ever receive would only come to me as I would dissolve the veils that kept me from seeing the truth of life as this shimmering radiance I began to realize that the greatest gift that I could ever receive would only come to me as I chose to surrender every perception that I might conjure up about you as my brother or sister or anything else in my life. Because those perceptions that I conjure up veil the capital T truth that is true about you and me always. So here we are at the very end of the chapter and it says... I'm going to live in this energy of forgiveness and dismantling perceptions 
not because I've been judging you, but because I know the blessings that that process of forgiveness brings to me. The greatest gift I could ever receive comes to me when I dismantle my perceptions about you and myself and others. The text finishes up by saying, forgiveness is something that I perfected as a man. And the invitation here is that you perfect it within yourself as well. And if you do, you will know the glory of the Christ mind. Be you therefore at peace, beloved friend. Amen. So, that's all I'm going to read today. That's the end of the of the third lesson. We've read through it twice now and we have about 10 or 11 minutes for some comments or questions. 563-999-3581. How's this landing for you? What kind of sense does it make to live in this energy of forgiveness? 563-999-3581. How many times in any given day do you, do I, face an opportunity to recognize that we are in judgment of ourselves or somebody else, that we've created a perception? And the fact of the matter is, every perception I create is a distortion. every perception I create, especially if it leaves me feeling tension, upset, contraction, I know my thoughts are in error. And I can enter into this process of dismantling that perception or judgment and practice it until it becomes as easy as a breath. That's our, our invitation, and it's something that um, truly, with practice, has been improving my quality of life by leaps and bounds. And as I have mentioned most days in this in the intro, it's been over 19 years now since I was introduced to this work. And I have been actively teaching it in the support groups and in my private practice and on this Internet show now for almost 13 years. So the more I practice it, the easier it gets to do. And the greater the benefit I feel on a regular basis from that process. It, it goes so far beyond words that I just have to keep inviting you to try it for yourself. I think the um, the liberty that comes from understanding, I don't have to get anybody to do anything they don't want to do. Because 
nothing about my experience of life is created by what these other people are choosing to do. My culture teaches me the opposite of that. My culture teaches me that what you did just made me angry or what you did offended me or what you just did hurt my feelings. But the more I practice this process, the more I actively demonstrate to myself I can change my internal state, my peace, my upset. I can shift into gratitude instantaneously regardless of what anybody else has ever said or done or just said or did the more I demonstrate that to myself the more I experience it as a direct consequence of my own choices and then I have something that nothing can steal from me you know, if, if you have this, uh, any any question about that, you can read a book like Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. You can read uh, The Gentle Art of Blessing and read stories about people that have been in concentration camps and choosing for love and stay healthy and vibrant. You can pick up the book by Roger McGowan and uh, Pierre Prattervand where he's, you know, putting his letters from him from Roger McGowan to him and back and forth into this book and here's Roger McGowan who's been on death row for 20 some years for something he didn't do who is has decided to just become a spiritual teacher rather than to become bitter and vengeful and angry and you know, play the victim role while on death row for something he didn't commit. And I I think it's safe to say that most of the people who are listening to this this audio file right now or living listening directly we not one single person in that audience is facing anything like what Viktor Frankl experienced in a concentration camp in Germany and what others have done in whether it's Nelson Mandela or Roger McGowan and so if they can get the benefit of applying these tools in those extraordinarily intense situations it's a reasonable assumption that you can benefit from it if you apply it in your life so that's our invitation 563-999-3581 it is a um, it's a Wednesday so we won't have a support group until tomorrow and you can find all the information about joining us there on mindshiftersacademy.org. And between now and the weekend, I'll finish updating the files on the um, 
mindshiftersacademy.org website or the first hour of these shows since we've been doing the Way of Mastery will be uploaded there and, and labeled appropriately. So it's it's only a couple days behind at this point. So mindshiftersacademy.org and one of the top menu items is the page that has the first hour of these shows where we're reading the way of mastery with commentary. And probably when I start the fourth lesson, we'll start a separate page for lessons four, five, and six just to keep them small enough so that they load well on a on a mobile unit. And don't get as many error messages as the other page from last year's, from 2022's version of this process. So again, thank you all for being here. Feel free to send me an email with a comment or a question. Feel free to stick around and raise a hand to comment for Michael and Jeannie's second hour. It is, um, as we say, an honor, and we're grateful to have everybody join us, and we'll look forward to talking again tomorrow and Friday, continuing the conversation. I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll turn on the microphone for and welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. You're the, most welcome uh, and deserved. The book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning, was Victor Frankel? Frankel. F-R-A-N-K. It's either E-L or just L. I forget which. Okay. Thank you. All right. Have a wonderful show. Thanks. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. Today is Wednesday, December the 6th, 2023, and our call-in number is 563-999-3581, and press 1. And that puts you in the queue to talk to us, and we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And while we're waiting on Michael to dial in, I'll just say thanks for uh, sending loving thoughts. Um, Monday was a little bit tough. Um, I had had a intense physical therapy treatment and had a headache and, and uh, earache. And anyway, got to feeling better. Yesterday was Aria's. A Christmas play at her school and so that's why we played a show yesterday and uh, it was just precious watching the kids that it was from kinder pre-kindergarten up to eighth grade and Aria's in the kindergarten class and so if you're connected with us on Facebook there's several videos out there of them singing and and everything it's just really sweet a lot of the songs they sang their music teacher actually wrote so um one of the songs Aria said was her favorite, and I had tried Google everything I could think of to find it and wasn't able to, and then found out that it's one that the teacher wrote. But uh, she just did such a good job and just beaming with pride over 
um, how well she did. I think she's going to be a singer. She's found her little voice and carries a tune pretty good. So anyway, we're happy to be back with you. And so Michael's dialing in now. If you have any questions, um, you know, we had played a couple of days back, we had played the On Creating Consciously, part one, and then Monday we played part two, and then yesterday we played an interview between Mitch Rabin and Michael. And so if you have any questions about any of those, or if you got to listen to them, we'd love to hear your comments on those. And uh, Michael's with us now, so I'm going to say welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here. Is that Mitch Rabin interview? Jeez, that was 20 years ago, at least. <laughs> Time flies. I was in New York City speaking at the Kravitz Center. And uh, so I did do that radio show. It was kind of interesting. The uh, When I completed that interview, Mitch Rabin, the interviewer, asked me if I knew Bruce Lipton. No, not at all. Never heard of him. He said, "Well, I did an interview with him. I don't know, a week or two or three weeks before." I was like, "You guys are doing the same work." I, like, I beg your pardon. A cell biologist and as a naturopath doing the same work. How could that be? So here, let me give you a copy of the interview. Give it a listen. So I listened to the interview, and I was blown away just how close we were in so much of our thinking. So I called Mitch back and said, hey, do you have this fellow's number? He said, sure. So he gave me his phone number. And I called Bruce Lipton, and he, he answered the phone. And I introduced myself. He said, oh, Michael Rice, you mean the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? I was like, Yes, uh, how do you know that? I'm sitting here reading your book. He was out in California, if I remember correctly. He was reading Why Is This Happening to Me Again when I just happened to call him through this set of circumstances. And apparently the weekend before, he had been to the university in Boulder, Colorado, speaking. And the student at that university was part of his class and asked him if he knew of me and gave him a copy of my book. So Bruce was sitting reading, why is this happening to me again as we spoke? Who knows what all the connections are, the way the earth turns. In any event, delighted that you're here, that we have this opportunity to move forward. Send a little energy, if you would, to my muscles. I've been out. We, we decided to add another about 120 or so square feet of uh, garden space to our our garden. So did a little differently this time. Instead of putting car, cardboard over the uh, the crabgrass and putting you know building soil on top, it decided to use a uh, tiller and dig into it, so I've been clean grab grass out of the soil that was there. It's been like taking forever to get rid of that. And uh, about two-thirds finished, so I have a few extra muscles. 
see, quote unquote, soil as clay and like a rock. So it was, it was interesting tearing this area up and getting rid of the crabgrass to uh, get ready to uh, to plant. We're going to be planting a new bed of asparagus next year. Somewhere. So lots happening here. We saw our first snow flurries today here in Bristol, Virginia. And all systems are rock and roll. So Miss Jeannie, with the fact that we played a couple of shows that uh, we didn't have a chance to answer questions on, I wonder if you've got any hands up in the phone queue or anything happening in the chat room. It is all quiet on this end. And I checked my email a little bit earlier, and I have no questions through the app either. So somebody press 1. So if you're out there in listener land, and you're listening to either of those shows or any one of those three shows we played recently, anybody have any questions to ask, anything to... Uh, to bring into the conversation. Not everybody all at once, though. Please. And don't wait till we're down to five minutes to get your whole conversation in, either. <laughs> Got a hand up. So, Eric. Well, let's say hello. Miss Susan. Hi. Hi. Welcome back. Jeannie. Welcome, young lady. How are you? Hi. <clears throat> Basically fine. Uh, I wanted to ask about dullness. Being absolutely like, I don't want to do this and I don't have any energy to do this and I'm not going to do anything and I'm going to be a complete dull blob. Is this someone you know? <laughs> Me. <laughs> Was that, well, I'm, the first thought that comes is it sounds like you might be in a healing crisis because I know oftentimes... When somebody moves into a healing crisis, remember one of the symptoms is low energy. And it's kind of like you get up and go, gets up and leaves. And that can be a good that can be a good place to just lay down, breathe, and be with yourself and see what's moving. Because I know you're normally highly energetic. So uh, it sounds like a, perhaps a, a sign of uh, your structure has gone into dealing with something, moving through something. Does that fit at all? Yeah, actually it does. I I'm it's been very busy around here and I when I learned that there were shows that where you weren't going to be live, I didn't listen, so I apologize. I just didn't. I tell myself, "Oh, I can come back to it." But I probably won't. But anyway, we've been working on getting housing for Michael and it's gotten pretty intense. But um, I've been working uh, working on being critical. I have I have a very critical nature, 
I guess everybody does. I mean, Dr. Tim was saying it's not a welcome thing if I find out I'm challenged. I don't really love it. And I started a worksheet. There's a person that I am easily triggered by. Put down the name, got to the point where it says I willingly let go of my feelings, and I thought, I I don't. I'm not going to get rid of them. It's just I got stuck right there, and I made myself go through the worksheet, but it ended up being a worksheet where I said I have to do more worksheets. Remember to breathe when this person comes into my uh, my zone of, you know, into where I am. And uh, the pictures I drew, this is the teen and adult worksheet because I have a pile of different kinds. I just take the top one and did it. And it was right. the most fun part was to draw, draw a cartoon of me as if I'm putting my finger down my throat and trying to throw <laughs> up. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the whole first hour was Dr. Tim addressing the exact, issue and in our support group we were talking about that issue as well as several other really interesting things but I just feel very stuck and I don't feel like doing much about it basically in a low-grade crab mode so nobody was putting a hand up so I thought here you're talking about being outside low you know doing all this heavy lifting you're running around I said where where does that energy come from? And uh, so, well, anyway, the truth healing be known, <laughs> What? I, I was quite energetic yesterday, but if the truth be known, I went out and I had a couple of errands to do this morning, and I was supposed to go and finish it this morning, but I didn't feel like doing it. I said, Jeannie, I don't want to go out in that cold. <laughs> so I just let it right. go. Came up here and put my hand yeah. in the abyss and took a nap. So I, I know oh, that good. feeling. I've been there, done that. <laughs> good. Well, so it uh, sounds like you're you're in a a low energy state, and that oftentimes is indicative of a healing crisis. And remember that uh, statement: this too will pass. And mm-hmm. just be with what's going on. Pay attention to your breath. Pay attention to what your thoughts are. Make notes if there are things that you realize there's there's work to be done, areas that uh, that you're moving through, and let yourself be with it. Sometimes the best thing to do is just yeah. be just take a nap. <laughs> At least that's been my yeah. experience. Well, that's good. It's basically underneath it all is it seems overwhelming and unfixable. I can't imagine ever being free. Um, of this critical nature. And I know we're not supposed to take ourselves all so seriously. At the end of Tim's show, he says, we come from love, we're made of this stuff we call love, and I think, yes, 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 yes. But I'm so far from experiencing that. I don't rip people's heads off. I'm not mean. I'm kind. The external part is in order, although then I think about I have a smooth tongue and a divided heart in Psalm 12, and I think, oh, well, that's the best I can do. So anyway, I'm, I'm kind of complaining to you, and thank you for listening, but that's just a question I have. Uh, I can't imagine getting to the end of my days and having 
cleared that up. So how about a mind shifter? Okay. And the mind shifter suggests going for is safe and healing. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy. No, I don't, Michael. I can tell you already. <clears throat> Go ahead. Okay, that's first thing goes on the other side. <laughs> My okay. critical nature. I love. Uh, okay, say again, safe and healing, and I love, or I enjoy and it. Enjoy my critical nature. Mm-hmm. So let yourself be oh, with that and the, see what what. Go ahead. I do. I do enjoy it. I want to okay. keep it. Well then, no wonder you're not getting rid of it. <laughs> right. You, you mm. know, we all get to choose. If you look at the power persons in your life, was Krabby part of their demeanor? Mm-hmm. Critical? Then it sounds like you came by it honestly. And perhaps some worksheets then on your power person being Krabby with you might give you some insight into what's at the root of this dynamic in your life. Whoa. Okay. My mother used to laugh and compliment me when I was feisty. When I was in kindergarten, she went in for a teacher conference, and the teacher said, she's a little devil, but a nice one. And my mom came home with glee and supported um, and told me about that because she likes that. And another time, I remember she complimented um, Catherine Hepburn for doing something about a man in her life. She just said, absolutely not, and disappeared. My mother thought, isn't that wonderful that she is so feisty and can put her foot down? And I think I've confused that with being critical. Oh, boy. I don't know where to unravel that, but thank you for the insight. I'd put all that on the right side of the page, your mind shifter, and and see what resonates as you go through that and let that move. That's a good place to start unraveling that ball of wax. Mm. Okay, thanks. Yeah, okay. I'm getting other insights too. That's very helpful. Uh, If I'm nice, if I'm loving, I'll be manipulating people. I'll accuse myself of being, you know, sucking up to people. What a horrible term that is. Yeah, okay. Got some work to do. All right, thank you. 
So, so the other question I would ask is, mm-hmm. can you think of times where there were people that were nice and you perceived them or caught them being two-faced? Oh, yeah. So then maybe it's your real hard, work Michael. is to... Hmm. Go ahead. It's tricky. You think you're perceiving two-facedness, but we're told that these are our projections and our perceptions, which are in error. So then you think, well, uh, what do I do with that? If there's hostility or fear attached. You mean I can pick up on it? Oh, that's so interesting. I can pick up on it but not have health hostility and fear, I can just observe it? Sure. You know, the the, the indicator so, is the mind's using corrupt data is that there's some form of hostility or fear attached. If I see someone, I, you know, I can observe, this person does this in front of somebody's face and then when they're behind their back does something different, I can observe, well, that's, that's pretty two-faced. Hmm, okay. But I'm not in some sort of a, a charged traumatic place. I'm just observing. There it is. So my mind can be feeding me, even though it's still my perception, can be feeding me accurate information. The key is, is it grabbing me and sucking me into some form of hostility or fear? And if so, that's where I want to clean up my mind. That's great. Yeah, I guess And then the mind... Go ahead. I've gotten confused about having a perception that's not very flattering and blaming myself because it is false. Hmm. There are things that go on in the world that aren't very flattering, that aren't very nice, for sure. Yeah. The key is whether I've got work to do is, am I in a disturbed state? Or can I look at the person who's playing that two-faced game and just be the space of love and maybe have a conversation, maybe hold them accountable for something that's toward me rather than being in a state of emotional disturbance and upset? Wow, that's helpful because I've always thought, oh, no, I'm in error because I'm perceiving, thinking I see this. I'm not seeing this. This is part of what I do. This is me. I'm two-faced. I've gotten a couple of things mixed up. That's good. You're helping me sort them out. I already feel yeah, I mean, like there are people in the up. world that aren't very nice sometimes. Yeah, that's the fact. Yeah, and funny. You know, there's a certain person who's very much in the news all the time right now, and I watch all that stuff, and I'm not triggered, but I am noticing it. Okay. I have enough energy to sit up now. Yeah, and perhaps you can observe that person and doing so from a space of connected love even send compassion. I can think of a couple of people in the news right now that are having all kinds of difficulty and just, and I I don't agree with anything they're doing. In fact, I think it's some of it is quite tragic in its impact in the world. And mm-hmm. I can really, truly, even though I see 
their behavior is destructive, I can hold a space of compassion and extend love toward them, holding a space, hoping that they'll heal because the trauma that they are going through on a personal level is just beyond comprehension. At least that's how I would see it. That would be my, if I were in that situation, I'd be going through so much trauma. So for me, I can hold a space of compassion. I can observe it and go, wow. I mean, if I had a choice, you know, if if I were, quote, unquote, the judge, that person would be in prison in a heartbeat because of the danger they are to society for the protection of our society. That person would be in prison. It's not my job to put them there, but I can stand as a space of compassion, recognizing the pain they must be in, the trauma they must be in, and even as destructive as the behavior is, support them. So that'd be my offering. An aside, but this is a question connected. I'm not sure that person is feeling the pain. I think the illness there is so extreme that they're not in pain. We are might be in pain watching. You're imagining that that person has your makeup, your conscience, your heart. I don't think that person does, but I, that's probably a judgment. I can't know, but there's no evidence, none, that that person, you're not like that person enough to ever do what that person's doing. I think if you observe that someone's always in a, a space of attack, as some of the people in that we may be even talking about the same person without mentioning any names, is always yeah. in attack mode, is always in rage, is always you know in in a thought disordered state of some form of hostility mm-hmm. or fear, then I think we can fairly safely assume that they're suffering. Otherwise, I don't, I don't know. think a mind, a mind comes forward with that kind of uh, traumatic rage uh, without, you know, it's, it's, it's their, and my take is it's their anesthetic against pain. Otherwise, they wouldn't be using it. You know, I, I think back to, I can remember, and you've maybe heard this, me tell this story before, but I think back to many years ago, there was a woman who was a... Um, housewife, this was down in South Florida, and she started to come to my workshops and ended up becoming a client, and I worked with her, and uh, her husband was a businessman, and their daily routine was, you know, late at night, he'd get home, she'd have dinner on the table, and three or four drinks, and a bottle of wine, and three or four drinks after dinner, wasn't an alcoholic, but, you know, that was her seven-day-a-week routine, according to her as she started to unfold and do her work, and she decided to stop using alcohol. Mm -hmm. And over a period of several years, she was around to work and continued to do the work, and she shared with me in a private session, this is after she had decided that she was just going to quit using alcohol. That's all. She just Mm -hmm. decided it wasn't a good thing, even though she said she was an alcoholic. And it was a period of about five years that she did not touch alcohol. And in a private session one day, she shared that, uh, you know, having not used alcohol, she 
was at a party and someone offered her a drink of hard liquor and she accepted it and started to drink it. And, and I say started because what she said was that literally the alcohol no more than got past her lips, you know, touched her tongue and the inside of her mouth. And she felt a, a sensation that she described as it was like razor blades in my kidneys. Wow. So she, having worked through what my, my, my take, my understanding of that would be, having worked through what she was using alcohol to anesthetize, the pain, now, five years later, having freed herself of that pain, she got to experience what the toxic effect was of mm-hmm. this poison called alcohol on her system. Yeah and immediately recoiled from it. My take is hostility is the same. It's no different at all. And if we weren't using it to anesthetize pain, we'd feel what it was doing to our structure, which I would offer that hostility is probably a quantum leap more toxic and assaulting to the tissue structure than alcohol is. So yeah, my take would be, I, 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 would, I would conclude that there's got to be a lot of pain there. And, you know, over the years watching many people who were in addictive mode who started to do this work and free themselves from that addiction, not because they were doing the work to free themselves from the addiction, but the addiction dropping away, alcohol or whatever it was, just dropping away naturally uh, as a result of doing their work. They, you know, I've observed more than one person who's told me, you know, gee, I've tried to quit alcohol before, but you know, it was never successful. And, you know, I've done this work for two years, and I just don't feel like drinking anymore. <clears throat> so... My take is if you give people the tools, then they lose the need for the addictive substance and I think, again, more uh, effectively start to experience what the toxic addictive substance is doing. And anger, to me, is a form of body chemistry, is a form of self-induced addiction that covers up pain. Mm-hmm. So that, that would just be, you know, that would be my reasoning. I, I may not be correct. I'd certainly be uh, willing to realize that that may not be correct, but oh, it's that's a, a very logical conclusion take. for me. That is a very hopeful and kind take uh, on this particular person because it is allowing that there's a human being left in there. And talk about judgment. I have figured there isn't anymore. I mean, that's part of my well, you know, I guess. Pain is, is a... Uh, a dis- my, my take is that pain is a destroyer of the awareness of being. I was watching a video this morning. I was actually writing on a topic, which when I get a complete, I'll send you a copy. But there's a 
a particular group of people in this culture who are, to me, part of the hostility and fear-based process that's accumulating power to destroy anything it can't control. Mm -hmm. And one of the I actually just found a new video this morning. I, I was aware of it previously, but found a new video with a new explanation, it was, and it's more widespread than I understood, and it's slightly different than I understood it to be. And that was that uh, there's a training method that's used in some religious circles in this country where an infant as young as six months of age is put on a blanket. It's called blanket training. It's put on a blanket, and if they do anything, and this is from six months, do anything to move off of that blanket, then they're immediately hit. And they put a toy off the edge of the blanket, which, you know, the child kind of, follows and goes for something shiny, you know, something attractive, and they're hit, 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 and they're hit until they stop trying to get off the blanket, that they live in such fear of motion that they just obey. And that's a form of training that's, sadly, is more widespread than I had understood. And it's done in... Some religious circles. Well, there's a documentary on uh, Amazon that you can watch. We've actually talked about it before. Um, and the documentary is called Happy Shiny People. Oh and a popular religious television network actually featured a family whose this is part of their training. I originally thought that it had originated with them, but this video that I happened to come across this morning is doing some research on this topic, uh, was saying, no, it's actually based in some work of another group of people and, you know, somebody who's written a book on, you know, this is how you teach children. And that kind of tension, that kind of pain in someone's form and in someone's physiology, my, my take is it, it knocks out awareness of the still small voice, the voice that is integrity, the voice that is being, the voice for the active presence of love. And another voice takes over that this is all being done for love. And when we have generations and generations of the kind of abuse that would even imagine a child of six months being worthy or, or deserving of, of being hit just for, you know, rolling over and crawling off of a blanket. Mm. That, you know, it, it to me speaks of how much backwards abuse, how much generational abuse has been instilled in people. You know, there was another film that we've talked about. Gene and I watched it again recently called I Can Only Imagine. Beautiful, powerful song. 
written by a young man who was just horribly abused by his father. And the abuse that this kid took was, I mean, it's it's just so widespread. When you watch that film and it's like, oh, my God. What 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 has happened to a people that this abuse is so widespread that it turns into a movement mm-hmm. and that it thinks that its lot in life is to control everything and everyone and make sure that no one has the liberty to live outside of its dictates. And it's widespread in this country. Is it? I think that's what we're seeing rise up. Sadly, it is. That was my cat. Well, I don't know what to say. Well, there's not much to say, I I don't think, except to, uh, to, to hold that space. And, you know, to get to the point where there can be a mind energy breakthrough that frees people who are bound to this multi-generational inflicting of pain. And, you know, and, and it's interesting because oftentimes the phrase that comes along with that inflicting pain from a parental figure is, I'm only doing this because I love you. So what does the child conclude but, oh, someone inflicting pain on me is an indicator that they love me. So I can inflict pain on others because that will be an indicator that I love them. And the the generational insanity simply goes on. Mm. And it's, it's rampant in our culture. Well, this is a whole discussion, but probably not for the radio show. I mean, who, what groups? Is this evangelical Christianity that's doing this? That's it. Well, again, watch the documentary, Happy Shiny People. This family was on, on television, on a religious broadcasting network, and they were putting their philosophy out in there you know, for years. A very popular TV show. And this is what they were doing in the back room. Blanket training. And the the woman, the mother in the family just talks about blanket training as this fun thing that she would get her kids, you know, at six months of age and talk to them about how we're going to have blanket time, which means if you get off the blanket, I'm going to beat you. And this is a popular, I mean, very popular show for years. And it also, the the people behind the scenes have taught tens of thousands of people across the country in this mode of thinking. And they have specifically stated that their objective was to take control of the political system of America so that it falls in lines with their falls in line with their religious beliefs. 
again, control through fear. And and they call that love. It's like, at what point do we wake up and go, excuse me, if somebody said to you, I'm only beating you because I love you, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Yeah. Don't call it love. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, you know, we have to call the insanity what it is, and it's insanity. Now, am I in a disturbed state about that insanity? Then I have work to do. Can I come mm-hmm. to that a, a state of insanity with a healing mind and and the tools and the support to bring people through it? Then, you know, we have a different set of principles happening, and probably, at least for a time period, when one is if if one has been subject to something like that, and there are varying degrees of it, perhaps not as extreme as that one where you beat a kid at six months of age. But you know, if anybody's ever heard, I, you know, I'm only doing this because I love you, then be aware that your mind is probably equating someone being abusive as loving you. And it's a lie. It's, you know, it's crazy. And that confused mind, sooner or later, is going to have to do something to clean itself up, to heal. And to me, that's a big part of this work. So can I bring a state, can I maintain a condition of love in my mind and the active presence of my state of being love to that circumstance? If I can, then I've probably resolved that in myself, or maybe I've resolved whatever layers I'm aware of at this point, and there may be other layers to come. If I can't, then I have work to do. And, yeah. you know, it's not much different than it was 2,000 years ago. If we asked Yesha, he'd say, well, have you taken the beam out of the speck, or pardon me, the beam out of your own eye now that you're inspecting the speck in your brother's eye? If yeah. not, then, you know, take care of the beam in your own. And then you're, then you're not going to be there to judge a person in that state you're going to be able to be aware of a person in that state and hold to that space of love so that perhaps the example, you know, that, that line in the worksheet that says, when I choose love, it wakes up the love in everyone. Perhaps when mm-hmm. I can come to someone just holding to the state of active love in my mind and mm-hmm. by so doing, resonating the same in that person, then there's one of the vehicles for awakening to the truth of who we are as human beings. You know, the, the, in the East, the, the Buddhists are working, I believe, in exactly the same arena, though those who come from that hostile, fearful mind go, oh, no, 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 there's only one, and it's mine. But yeah. they're working to produce the same result and to hold goodwill to every sentient being and every creature so they're working to clean themselves up and to arrive rather than as a state of love which is one aspect of being to arrive as compassion which I think is simply another reflection another side of the coin of that state we call being 
and to have the tools to produce the result of living in compassion and living as the presence of love, whatever's going on within our world. And if we're not, if something else is fueling us, then that's when disease shows up. That's when, you know, we get tired and sick of being sick and tired. Yeah. It's funny how disproportionate it is. Um, we've been talking about a certain political figure, and I can observe this, but it isn't, it isn't that kind of upset at all. But there can be one human being in my life, in my proximity, and my reaction is extreme, and this person isn't doing anything like what that person is doing. So isn't it nice that resonance has delivered someone that can show you that deeper part of you that you're otherwise probably pretty pretty good at keeping hidden from yourself? This is and so, true. So and the I gift, don't like you know, it. <laughs> didn't say you had to like, like it. it. <laughs> you just got to realize if it takes you out of love, that's your work to do. No, it's true. You know, and, and you know, purpose of life again needs to kick us right in the limitation. What are we holding on to that prevents us from experiencing ourselves as the created essence of love that we are? And mm-hmm. you know, my take is that life's purpose is that, and it's relentless. And it's going to keep showing us what needs to be healed until we decide to say, okay, I'm going to go to work on that one. For yeah, yourself, well, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And there are going to be many healing crises in the process. And again, remember the mm-hmm. symptoms of healing on a physical level. It's any kind of physical symptom you've ever had and low energy. On a mental level, it's any kind of negative thought you've ever had in confusion. On an emotional level, it's any kind of negative feeling you've ever had in depression. That's what healing looks like. Okay. So congratulations for your willingness. Oh. Well, I'm not willing. I'm not. That's the thing. Well, I haven't been anyway. Yeah. I understand. I see what you're saying. I do understand it. It seems uncorrectable seems absolutely like I've hit bedrock. That's it. There's no hope in this particular department. I can work around it and I can fake it, but it's going to just sit there. Oh, you know what? Right now. What? You know what? We've got an app for that. (laughs) And in it, there's this thing called a worksheet. We've even got a book you can read about that, and it's called Why Is This Happening to Me Again? Mm-hmm. Yep, I know about that book. <laughs> yeah. This, Delighted, this young lady. You... Appreciate you. Well, that's nice. Um, I had a cute thing happen at church um, that because I ended up 10, number 10, in this teen adult worksheet. I now feel like a worm, slimy and ugly. And I see that, and then what I see I won't even repeat on the radio show. But the worm thing is a fun thing. Um, We're just going to rehearsal for a chancel opera based on Jonah. And Jonah, as you know, God appoints a worm. And God appoints the worm to eat a plant that he appointed to protect Jonah for a while from the desert sun or whatever it is. And I 
my new rector, who's only 40 years old and a lively man, and a singer and an organist before he became a rector, is sitting in his office talking to our brand new young organist. And I poke my head in and I say, by the way, to the organist, I need two kids who will play a worm and a plant. And the rector busts out laughing and he says, oh, no, you don't. I want to play either the worm or the plant. Would you consider (laughs) cast me as the worm or the plant? I want to be part of this conversation. This is the kind of priest we have, this incredibly willing, flexible, lively, great guy. Anyway, isn't that just adorable? So, you know, good things happen. And luckily in my choir... There's only one person that I have to do wake-up sheets for. That's pretty good. (laughs) Um, And it doesn't seem nearly as insurmountable as this other person who I run into on a regular basis. So it's good to get the encouragement. I also love that you clarified that what I perceive isn't just a projection. It may be I'm observing something that's true that's happening, but it's how I feel about it, that it's the ticket of whether I need to work on it or not. I've never had that Can quite I bring, as clear in my mind. Yeah. What? Good. Can I bring love to it? That can would be the, the thing it? that distinguishes. Can I, can I be at this party that's got some abhorrent things going on, and can I stay present with it as active love? The answer is no at the moment, but it's a good question. Next piece of work. Congratulations. Another opportunity to learn forgiveness. Life is serving its purpose. And life is relentless. Yeah, it is. Relentless. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, any other thoughts for you today? Thank you so much. No, that's enough. All right, we appreciate you. All right, holding the space. All right, blessings. Take care. Bye-bye. And you have another hand. Oh, okay. Say hello. Yeah. 757, I believe this is Dan. Hello. Well, good morning, young man. How are you? I guess it's afternoon already, isn't it? You were on my mind this morning. I actually just about called you this morning just to see how you were doing after your still point session last week. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Um, I'm doing well. I, yeah, a lot of stuff coming up and several things I wanted to mention. But, um, yeah, things are good. The other, (laughs) just a lot of things. A lot of healing going on, it feels like. Um, Nice. When was it? A couple days ago, you know, I think I was getting real excited and feeling good about everything, and I was hairy and, you know, just happy about stuff. And then the next day I sort of crashed, and I guess sort of a healing crisis thing, and I was irritable, and I felt dizzy and disoriented, and it's like, why is this just got to keep going on forever? And I was sort of like, it's, we're just always in, either in a healing crisis or working on building up to one. You know what I mean? That's what it felt like. Um, and uh, I had a lot of the, you know, the stuff that, that gets resonated by my 
relationship with Katie that you know about pretty well. It seems like I, you know, I sort of clean it up and then I'm like, oh, thank goodness I'm done with that. And then it comes back up and I was just getting frustrated. And anyway, I remember being in this, identifying this state of healing crisis and then going for a walk and sort of breathing through it. And, and it, it's like it flipped over to this like uh, sort of joyful vitality. I was like, wait a second, I thought I felt horrible. And on the other hand, it's like I just feel a little bit more electrified and sensitized to my life and and uh this life energy so that was a really cool thing because it was like right in the middle of it it kind of flipped into more of a a feeling of health does that make sense sounds perfectly i'm on track yes it sounds like you just got through another layer awesome And, and so it like it seems like you know, everything that I do is either, like I said, you know, I'm either building up the vitality that will get me to another uh, crisis point or I'm in the crisis point. <laughs> so, And then you get a moment of respite where it's just you get to just function as a state of being, function in that state of love, and that will become more and more common as you move your work forward. Okay. Well, I seem to be a, I don't know, it's like I feel like I just kind of exploded into this stuff the last six months or so because there's just stuff to be, work to be done, you know. And uh, Right, right. So from these mind well, the other shifts, thing, I've, go ahead. I was just going to say that the, what my experience is in working with these tools over the years and working with people and watching their process is that, one will move through a layer of something and then there'll be this period of respite where there's just, you know, that connected space. And, you know, maybe something happens that, you know, forever in my life would have triggered some sort of a catastrophic response from my mind and I'm just sitting kind of looking and going, hmm, where is it? Mind? Yeah. Where? Where? What, what happened? And it's like, it's just not there anymore. I'm finished with that. Where's the drama? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, that's it. And so it it's like a spiral, and the tendency is, you know, once you move through an issue, you're moving up to the next level of vitality as you were talking about, and you may come back around to that issue, or it may come back around to you, and you realize that, oh, I'm pretty much finished with this, or maybe there's some little, you know, little niggling things in there to do, but I'm finished with the major trauma around whatever a given issue is. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and then the other big thing I wanted to bring up, and it sort of resonated with your uh, discussion with the the last uh, person that was just on. Susan, We were talking about uh, some sort of generational traumas and so on and so forth. And, you know, I've talked to you about um, my my background is Jewish, uh, and I grew up and, you know, went to a Jewish school, Jewish community, uh, New York City, Upper West Side. And this, the, you know, recent events with, with Israel and the news over there is really kind of resonating some stuff with me. And, and um, Brian. you know, I personally, 
I don't know. I don't think it matters what, you know, my political orientation is, but I don't like at all what the, what that, the country of Israel is doing. Uh, and it seems like, uh, in a way they are like creating the, the destructive realities that they say that they're scared of or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, I feel like I'm watching a generational trauma being passed on, um, but that those feelings that have come up for me is sort of resonated stuff from when I was a when I was a child and I was going to you know this Jewish school and my teachers there and I remember sort of learning or believing that I was learning that you know I was going to be persecuted and that it's not safe and that people are out to get us and I was doing a worksheet yesterday on those on those teachers and it Brian? hit me. It hit me. The the goal was, oh, my God, they were teachers. I wanted them to teach me a more benign and pleasant and loving reality. I wanted them to teach me something more. And so that just, I don't know, something really opened up for me on that one when I was doing that work. Nice. Um, <clears throat> well, you know, Job offered such a powerful lesson, if you go back and read the book of Job, which is, about horrendous loss and pain and suffering. And in the last analysis, what Job wakes up to, you know, his conclusion, which many have not yet heard, is that which I feared most has come upon me. And as long as a, you know, the example that you're using of there's going to be persecution as long as each generation is taught, well, this is what you're going to get, so you better be careful and you better fear it and protect yourself, then unconsciously the energy that one has been brainwashed as a creator to create is persecution. So that's like been going on a long time in that culture, thousands of years, and it's definitely one to be forgiven. I know we we did a... uh, uh, why is this happening to me again workshop in Fort Lauderdale, Florida at the Holocaust Museum about, I'm not even sure, maybe 15, 18 years ago. And having been invited into that space and the audience was primarily Jewish, I was in a little bit of trepidation as to whether or not, you know, my, my basic message was from Job, that which I feared most. And you know, am I going to have my head taken off if I bring that forward? And I basically did a full why is this happening to me again workshop without mentioning the New Testament or the principles there at all, but just coming out of that space of, so here's this guy who's lost everything. How did he get it back? He took responsibility. He stopped playing the blame game and went, oh, I used the amplifier of fear to bring this about. So what do I need to do? I need to clean up my fear. And I was really just, uh, it was perhaps one of the best why is this happening to me again workshops that I've done in 40 years. And the response was overwhelmingly, oh my God, yes, there's work we need to do. And actually finished, finished that workshop and the next day Jeannie and I were going on a cruise and I went into one of the deepest physical healing crisis that I've ever had, like a deep, extremely painful physical healing crisis out of the energy that moved in that workshop. It was just, you know, it was like just, 
I'm not even sure how to describe it, but the way the whole process came together and the way that the willingness that everybody had who was in that workshop, yeah, let's do this work, let's clean it up, was just phenomenal. Yeah, I just, I don't know. It's hard to put into words some of the things I'm, you know, thinking or feeling or whatever the the case is, but it just seems like, you know, if the problem is outside of you, then problems forever because right. it's never going to, you know, I'm cutting off the ability to address it, like like you say. Right, and when you're, when you're, dealing with a generational thought disorders, that's how it's going to appear. It's going to come up like, geez, I don't even know what this is. I don't know what to do with this. What, you know, I can't even exactly put my finger on it. And it sounds like you're developing the ability to put your finger on it and clean it up. So what an is awesome what, opening to create. Sorry, what was that? Just what an awesome opening to create. Yeah, well, I've, um, you know, for a really long time, I've had really mixed feelings about my being Jewish. Like I've felt um, some embarrassment about it and then some pride about it. And, you know, I think those are pretty kind of common, you know, sort of cultural experience. But I, I feel like I'm starting to go into and address some of these realities in me. But like you said, you know, a lot of times I don't know if I'm doing – this the the work right because it's, I don't have I don't have a lot of like cognitive clarity a lot of the times as I'm going through this process I just more sort of feel my way and it's more of a physical and right. emotional thing but you know you and me have discussed that and it seems like that's fine it's yeah. still on track that's perfect that's exactly on track is that and and when I realized that bringing love present in my mind means that whatever needs to move in me is going to tend to move energetically. It may well become cognitive, but it doesn't need to become a cognitive experience. It doesn't need to be. I remember this exact thing, but it sounds like you're starting to more be able to define where you got some of this and, and what's bubbling up, you know, to go back and start recognizing some of the things you were taught and those kinds of thought disorders. That's, that's awesome. Awesome piece of work. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, and the clarity is in and out. Like I felt like there was a lot of clarity yesterday as I was doing that work. It just kind of hits. Oh my God, these are teachers. I wanted them to teach me a different reality than the one that, that they actually instilled and seeing that their realities were fears of persecution and kind of hypervigilance based on trauma. Therefore we have to be, you know, tough and prepared and so on and so forth. But that, that creates, you know, that which I feared most has, you know what I mean? Has come come upon me. Exactly. And and I see that exactly with, uh, you know, the state of, of Israel, which, you know, I feel like all the the military preparedness and the aggressiveness and the the all of that is creating that which they do not want to have happen. And just, right. Well, I certainly join you in holding the space of love for resolution for everybody involved in that trauma. I know that for uh, there are many communities of 
of Arabs and Jews that have lived together for, you know, forever with love and respect and care and concern for each other. And I think that uh, this um, uprising of rage and hostility and destructiveness is another opportunity. And uh, the more of us on the planet that can hold a space for its healing, I think the faster it's going to heal. So I certainly join in with you in that one. All right. All right, my friend. Well, it just said in my ear that we're ready to be uh, finished, that the uh, show's going to cut us off. So I'm going to just say thanks for your call and, and for bringing that up. And uh, we'll invite the whole audience into that space of love that this abuse and, you know, without needing to point fingers at it, their fault or their fault, it's like let's let's just hold the space for there to be an end to it. And uh, uh yeah. The, an end to the passing on of fear from generation to generation. Agreed. So appreciate you. Appreciate All right, my friend, you have a blessed one. Thank you. Everybody, thank you for joining us. Have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye-bye.